Welcome to More Than Movies. I'm Ivana. And I'm Jay. Today we explore what 2021 had to offer on the big screen. That's right. It is our annual show. Every single year we do this all the time. It's just our thing. We're a little tardy, though, this year. So, like, normally this episode comes out the Monday after the Oscars. And we're recording a whole week after the Oscars finished. I I was sick, so unfortunately. We we... had a plan. And then, you know, people get sick. You got to let them be sick. I'm not going to be like, okay, well tough the oscars are this weekend let's make sure to record anyways like that would sound awful and we don't want to do that to anybody but it gave me time i watched more things and and you know what let's be honest all anyone wanted to talk about this past week was the slap right yeah oh by the way as of this moment as of right now will smith has resigned from the academy that is that's where we're at in this whole thing if you want to know when we're recording It was about an hour ago when that happened. I think this is not bad timing. Maybe it was kismet because I don't think anyone was ready to talk about what were the best movies of 2021. But now, now maybe it's time to circle back to that and to ask ourselves last year, what was what was great? Actually, and that's a question I have for you, Jay. Do you think 2021 was a good year for movies? And I I thought it was a, a pretty good year. I had a lot of four stars like I. I don't normally have this many four-star films. I think I might have a five-star, but it may get bumped to 2022 because here's the thing. Just like our top 10 turf war when it comes to TV shows, we have some rules about our movies. And the rule is, even if it's nominated for an Oscar, if it's best picture, we can include it. Otherwise, it has to be a limited release or a wide release within North America. So I watched way more foreign films this year than I think I've I've ever watched. And some of those films haven't dropped in North America. So you will see those on my 2022 list next year. I had a different take. For me, 2021 was not a great year for movies. I'm a big four-star rating person. I think I'm a pretty generous rater in some ways. I didn't have that many, not as many as normal. Honestly, maybe the top four or five, maybe six, deserved to be in a top 10 at all. Holy moly. I found this to be a very mediocre year. It's not like the movies were horrible that we were watching, but I don't think that they connected with me and they're, they weren't my kind of movie exactly. So... Yeah, I don't even know about this top 10. I've been like playing around with the order. It's been hard. I would go so far to say like I love all the movies in my top 25 of this year. Now, I have seen 85 films from 2021. In total over the year, I saw 255 movies. So we did the math. 33% of those were from 2021 and qualify to be on my list. So I think that's pretty good because... How you're in the 60s, right, Ivana? Yeah, I think I'm now at 67 films I've seen. Well, I think we should get to it. It's time for a top 10 turf war. This year, when you say a movie that is not on my list, if I've seen it, I'm going to tell you where I ranked it. 
because I, obviously I, I have my letterbox list and I can tell you exactly where in the year I place it. As always, you're going to get a good mix of films in these in this top 10 because Ivana has very different tastes than I do. I'm pretty sure she is she may not even have any musicals on her top 10. Definitely whereas not. I Definitely perhaps not. have multiples. <laughs> multiples. It was a banner year for musicals. So here's the deal. Ivana, why don't you start us off with your number 10 of the year? All right. My number 10 is a sequel, and it is A Quiet Place Part 2. Can you believe it? I I slept on this. I haven't seen The Quiet Place Part 2 at all. I liked the original. I, I did like the original quite a bit. But I, I have slept on the sequel. I don't know why. It's on Prime. It's right there. Tell me why. I, I got to watch it immediately after this. So it's a really inventive second chapter to this story. It ends kind of on a pretty big moment, right? Like John Krasinski is dead and we don't really know what's like the family has just kind of figured out how to defeat the monsters and, and it's like left like that. You know what I mean? Like really at a high moment. And so I didn't know what they would do with the sequel. And I was actually really impressed with how they set up the story. And also, he's in the movie, like John Krasinski. He's still acting in it. And oh, he shows up. Yeah, he shows up. He's he's on the IMDb and he is definitely in it. So I just really like the second story. It's not as good as the first one. The first one is still the better film overall. But it was a great sequel. I really enjoyed it. It was one of the more fun-to-watch films of the year. Really lovely. Really, really lovely. Killian Murphy he, is in this one, and he's great, too. Like, great casting oh. choice. And he did direct the sequel as well. This is, like, his second film. Oh, yeah. This is his second film. And that's part of it, is that how are they going to make a second movie that's as good as that first one? And he got close. And he understood, like, what was special about a quiet place and he was able to deliver kind of a new story while kind of staying true to the soul of the universe. Okay, I I love it. I I wish I could add more. Obviously the first one ends on that like really great you just kind of assume Emily Blunt is out there in the world kicking ass at the end of that film. So I I'm going to watch the second one. I, you know what the thing is when sometimes when you when you sleep on a film just a little bit, you always mean to come back and then you forget. That is like, so oh. true. Because I saw it like right when it came out and it blew me away. Right. Right. Okay. So my number 10, you know what? Let's get personal. I had a really hard pandemic, everybody. I, I think I went through a little bit of a crisis in my head. I gained more anxiety. I certainly have... Never been in a place where I felt uh, so up and down emotionally for a very long time. And this film is Justine Bateman's directorial debut. Uh, it's a film called Violet. And I have to say, like, this is one of the most intensely great films I've ever seen about mental health in my entire life. It's about a woman who's played by Olivia Munn named Violet, who is not necessarily dissatisfied with her life, but there is a voice in her head telling her how she must act. And it is 
making her miserable. This voice is crushing her. And it's this voice saying, you're nothing, you're worthless, stay safe, keep playing it safe. And, and the creative way of showing these voices is the voice in her head is played by a man, which is also like, boom, blew my mind. This woman's inner monologue is a man's voice. That's horrible. I feel like that's and like then, normal, though, because the default of the world is a man. So like we all internalize it, you know. But isn't your default voice your own voice? Like I hear myself in my voice. You hear yourself? Yeah. Like when I'm thinking and stuff like that or like. Oh, interesting. So the way it works is she's obviously acting on screen and then you will hear the voice and it's this deep man's voice telling her she's nothing or belittling her or, you know, play it safe. And then in cursive writing, we see what she really wants and what she really feels on screen. And it's, that's the whole film. You're kind of keeping up. Anyway, it, it was, I think it's a film that changed my life. And I think there are like two types of people in the world. Those who feel the way the Violet feels and those who haven't felt that way yet. I genuinely believe that. I think everybody, because I never thought I would ever have any issues of feeling sad over a prolonged period of time or anything. It happens to everybody. You have to confront it. Ivana, you helped me through some dark days. And this, this movie just hit it at the right time. The only reason this film isn't higher on my list is because I don't know if the ending is as strong as it should be for a film like this. It yeah, ends yeah, I get that. Somewhat abruptly. Um, it's hard to end this film, though. So I kind of understand why it ends abruptly, because I can't think of really a better way to end it. Yeah, you can't say that everything is hunky-dory now. Like, that's not the ending to this movie. No, absolutely not. And the other thing is that it kind of starts in the middle of her life, and it kind of just ends of in the middle of her life. We're just watching this moment of it she's just going to continue living her life but now it's going to be a little bit different because she stopped listening to the voice in her head so it sounds like you've seen this film i've seen the movie it's my number 12 because it had such a profound effect on me i i did want to squeak it in the top 10 i definitely wanted to talk about it it just really affected me in a huge way and that's how art's supposed to work and it really did its job. That's not to say that like my number 11 and 12 are really fun films because they certainly are. But I, I this was more important to me. I watched it while I was sick. And I think that affected how much the movie was able to affect me, which is why it didn't go higher on my list because like it should be. Olivia Munn is amazing in it. I really love the effect of the voice. Do you remember who plays the voice? It's Justin Thoreau. Yes, Justin Thoreau, that's right. So it's like Olivia Munn's acting, Justin Thoreau's voice acting, and then this the cursive writing on screen. Probably the one thing I have the most issue with is the cursive writing, and it's mostly just because I find it hard to read cursive writing. <laughs> like, I've forgotten, and <laughs> I'm so used to, like, you know, Ariel or, like, Helvetica. And it certainly scrawls pretty quickly on and off as she's going through emotions. So I, I, I can I can totally get that. What is your number nine? Okay, number nine shocks me. Like, just shocks To me. your core. 
to my core. Like, how is this in my top 10? It doesn't deserve to be in a top 10, in my opinion. But here it is. Cruella. But Cruella's really fun, and Emma Stone is really good, and I don't know how they managed to make this movie so good. This is a top 20 film for me. Number 18 on my list. I adore Cruella. Did not expect to. I mean, I don't know where we go. At some point, she's got to, like, kill some dogs, right? Like, that's going to be horrible for this character. But at the same time, this movie... Its soundtrack moves so well. Yes. It like has a great vibe. Great the vibe. The costumes are sexy. She is like all empowering. Emma Thompson is like badass in this film. Oh, she's. And- it's almost like a way better version of the Devil Wears product, in my opinion. Yes. Thank you. I don't really understand why everyone loves the Devil Wears product. This is like the Devil Wears product meets Ocean's Eleven, and I loved it. It was in my top 10 for a good. Good portion. We watched it in the fall and it was a perfect like couples watch. Becky and I popped it on while we were up at a cabin and couldn't believe how much fun it was. Yeah, I I still can't believe how much fun it was. I watched it because you did. You kind of tipped my hat towards this movie. All right. What's your number nine? Okay. My number nine is uh, second drama on the list. And this is uh, Hig. Put a pin in it. We're going to put a pin in pig. Yeah, we're going to put a <laughs> pin in pig. <laughs> Putting a pin in pig right now. Okay. we're Awesome. I'm so glad it's on your list. Let's go to your number eight of the year. All right. My number eight is Last Night in Soho. Oh, man. Okay. I'm so glad this is there. It is number 16 on my list. Nice. Okay. So okay. let's talk about Last Night in Soho. The reviews on this movie are shit. People don't like People do not like this movie. No, some people like it. A lot of people don't like it. I definitely don't think it's a horror. I think that the marketing was wrong in that regard. Yeah, there's ghosts, but that doesn't mean it's a horror. When I put it on, I kind of knew to brace myself, but it never really got bad. I mean, okay, the ending, This it really shouldn't be in a top 10. And yet, I like it more than I like a lot of the other films I've been watching. So it's here. But it has so much to say. I think it does deserve to be in the top 10. I mean, you identify with this girl who's moving out on her own for the first time. And she's kind of enamored by the past without realizing how horrible the past is. It's glamorizing what we came from without understanding how horrible that time was. Well, because the thing is, is that through the lens of history and when you look at pictures of glamour, you don't see the reality of living through it. The thing that survives is the glossy part. That's right. And she is all about that glossy until about halfway through the film where she's like, I'm dreaming of this person every night. Why am I dreaming of this person? And you start to realize like what ended up happening and it sort of becomes a a kind of like a, a slashery, crazy, psychedelic. It's definitely psychedelic, a bit. and it's definitely a thriller, and kind of like a whodunit, and there is a murder mystery. Yeah. But I, it's not. I mean, except for the end, it's not very slashery. 
Right. I mean, the end is definitely very slashery. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's very whodunit. And, you know, I'm kind of like, I'm really proud of Edgar Wright because there's almost zero humor in this film. Oh, and yeah, it seems true. like such a departure from what he's used to. And in a way, it's a it's a Me Too film, right? It's totally a Me Too film. And like, ah, a good one. It's a really good one. There's a lot of truth here. I I agree with you. I think there's also just magic between Thomason McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, the two oh, of them yeah. together playing off each other. And of course, like the craft of how he made this film, the, the fact that the two of them were acting in real life, like all of that was practical, you know? Nowadays, because CGI can look really good, you can kind of assume that all of this done, was done with trickery but it's not and part of what makes the performances sing is that the actors were actually there like feeding off each other giving each other energy it does make well, and a then difference back, and you have to go how the hell did he pull that off and make it look like that mm-hmm. how the hell practically did he do that without that because let's face it Edgar Wright knows his way around some CGI he Scott Pilgrim versus the world is one of my like most favorite films and it's post-production took two years because of the amount of stuff they threw into that film and all the effects that go layered on top with like, you know, the X's popping up and like, you know what I mean? Yeah. At this point is doing it practically like kind of tying your hands behind your back and trying to film. No way. I think he knew this is a Me Too story about the connection between these two girls. And I think he knew that for the film to work, that needed to be there. You couldn't just fake it like the way you would in a green screen playing to a tennis ball. He needed the energy. And I think he knew that that's how the film would work. And I think that's a big reason why the film works. I am so happy that Last Night in Soho is on the list. However, the ending, the ending is not good. I really did not like the ending. Like, I think the movie kind of falls apart at the end. Well, but then we get the tap of the mirror at the end, which is also like solidarity, sister, even though you, you know, tried to murder me. Sure. Very cute (laughs) little moment. What are we at? We are at number eight. What is my number eight? What is your number eight? Ooh, my number eight is a film that I watched last weekend, like hours before we were going to record, because so many people said, you got to watch this movie. And I genuinely was like, I'm going to hate this movie. It's too arts for me. But it turns out it was so entertaining and I loved it. And that was The Green Knight. Okay, I'm glad it's on your list. I really liked The Green Knight. The Green Knight is sort of like a a myth, mythological tale about this guy who takes up a challenge from The Green Knight who is a clear representation of Mother Nature. And Mother Nature basically like bows down to him and says, hey, take your best shot, whether it's like a, a slight whack or you knock me down. No matter what, next year, a year from today, you got to come seek me out, bend down, and I'll give you back. So our hero, who thinks that this is his way to glory, this is how you become a knight, 
this is how you will be remembered, slays the Green Knight and like chops off his head. I'm not giving away too much. This is like right at the beginning of the movie. And then the rest of the film is about his journey going to find the Green Knight so he can like lay down before him. But the most interesting thing about this is like Ivana and I both watched this film and thought like, why wouldn't you just, I don't know, kick him or like just like a light whack. So funny enough. Okay. So I'm up to 69 films, FYI, because I forgot to rank Green Knight, but I, Beautiful. I did a quick rank, and it it sits at, at number 11, so perfect. Okay, perfect. I mean, the film is about, like, our ambition and toxic masculinity and... As so many films were this year. As so many films were, and, you know, and immaturity. And I think Dev Patel in the beginning is very immature and decides to be the big man and cut off the wooden knight's head. Where, like, the correct, more wise, less toxic masculinity thing to do would not have been to worry about his balls and how big they were, but would have been to slap the the tree like Will Smith slapped Chris Rock. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Even the king at the beginning of the film just says to him, remember, it's just a game. Like, just a reminder. You don't have to go crazy buck wild on this guy. It's just a game. Anyway, the rest is his journey. And to be fair, it's very artistic and it looks beautiful and it's slow paced. All the things that I thought, ah, this is going to hinder my watching. But most of the film is incredibly entertaining anyway. And then you get this incredibly cool revelation at the end when he's knelt in front of the Green Knight and it blew my mind. It was so perfect. And, you know, there is another ambiguous ending, which I will not say. Ivana knows what that is. And we've both discussed at length. But I don't know. Something about, like, nature bowing down to be torn down for man. And then being like, yeah, but I'm still going to be here at the end. You know, I will always win against you. Like, that was... It is a very environmental message for this King Arthur type of tale. <laughs> and it has so much to say about nobility, nobility and honor, and like how everybody basically revere him like a knight, but like he's got no real nobility or honor. Like, it's so interesting to watch a film like this in that time period and just watching like sort of a common man trying to become higher than his rank or station. Yeah. So anyway, that's the Green Knight. Let's move on to your number seven. You're going to be surprised at this, but Ooh, it I can't is wait. Shiva Baby. Okay. All right. Shiva Baby. I gave it four stars. Like I really enjoyed it. Chaotic, really funny, really happy to like find this small film, but it's like 37 on my list. So I was like, Jay, I don't see what you're so obsessed with. And here it is, my number seven. I constantly came back to thinking about this film. And it was really funny. Really funny. Okay, so the script is great. And maybe this is like the producer side of me. I look at this and I'm like, okay, the outcome of it is not cheap. But the input is inexpensive. 
The acting is superb. There's something that feels very real about it. It's very rooted in reality. And it's just there's not enough comedies and it's a comedy and it's a good one. And it's it's a film that's going to help normalize bisexual people. And it's, you know, like you said, it's just really funny. I think the comedy will break through for people. I think who might so. be like a little turn because, you know, we, it shouldn't be. But there are people in the world who are turned off by the idea of watching a, a film about LGBTQ people, which is shocking. 2022. It's like one of those funny movies about family where the family is the funny bit. Yeah. Dealing with your family while you're really just trying to go through something. Everybody can relate to that. Let me just give everyone the premise. So it's about this girl. She's a college student. She's graduating. Everyone's asking her what's next in her life. And honestly, she has no fucking idea. However, she has been fucking this married man who is, it's not like sex work, but it is like sex work in that he's like her sugar daddy. And he feels almost like a young professor. And that's kind of how you initially meet them. Until you suddenly realize that they're all sitting Shiva at a family event and he's there and she's at a funeral. There. Yeah. Like the, the Shiva's a few a, a Jewish wake. Yeah, right. And he's there and her parents are there and this girl that she kind of has this adversarial but also loving friendship with is also there. And, you know, this other girl was like the perfect girl that she was always compared to. And and the two of them have something. And then this guy's wife shows up with our brand new baby. And, and she's just facing all of it in front of her family at a shiva. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's really good. I really enjoyed it. I have a lot of four-star movies. Like I, 37 and four stars. Like there's just so many movies I really enjoyed this year. So I I guess it, maybe it's a great year for me. I don't know. Okay. I'd be surprised if my number seven major list. We've talked about it to death. The Power of the Dog is my number seven of the year. Absolutely not on my list. But you know what? Like it's <laughs> it's not that low. I'll I'll do the count and I'll let you know. Tell us about this movie and why you loved it so much. All right. It's just this fantastic exploration into masculinity and when it's toxic, how it affects an entire group of people who are tied to your masculinity. In a time when I guess everybody had to be tied together because, you know, people couldn't leave their families if they weren't married or whatever. Like, this isn't my favorite movie of the year, but I, st I think it's the best film that I watched this year. It's just not my favorite movie of the year. It really comes down to every single scene, watching how Benedict Cumberbatch, how his pain caused pain to everybody else the whole way through. And... You know, when we get to that ending, which I know a lot of people saw it coming. I didn't, I wasn't watching it in that regard. With that said, I, I mean, I really enjoyed watching him almost fall in love with the younger man. A hundred and ten percent. Yeah. That was actually the most intriguing part of the movie, the love between these two men. I, I also was really moved by Kirsten Dunst. And Jesse Plemons, there's a beautiful scene where they've just gotten married. Clearly, she's like, I did this thing and hopefully it makes my life better. But 
probably not for love. And you see Jesse Plemons just like cry and like such a different kind of masculinity than his brother. And then he just shares. I'm just glad not to be alone. Meanwhile, like his brother always wants to be with him and he cannot feel connected to his own brother because his own brother is so repressed and thinks he has to act a certain way because obviously he's hiding his homosexuality, but he's just hurting so bad that nobody can be around him in any way positively until Cody Smith McPhee kind of breaks down that barrier while they're out together and they're talking about the, you know, the, the howling wolf in the, in the mountain. And, and, Oh, you saw that right away. I don't know. Like, this is a beautiful film. It challenged me. I, I loved watching it. Like, again, this is me turning off all of my senses, watching in a dark room. I put it on. I, I kind of wish I had seen it in theaters, to be honest. But I, I just really love The Power of the Dog. You and Blake, not so much. We watched it in two sittings. He watched the first 60% of the movie, and then he was done. He couldn't watch it anymore. And then the next day, I finished it. And I much preferred my second viewing and the latter half of the film. I really also hated that first 60% that I watched with Blake. The movie is so goddamn slow, beyond slow, like a snail's pace slow. <laughs> and see, I didn't get that because I was like so amazed by all of this, all of the ideas of how they were affecting each other. I just kept on thinking about that. And I felt so bad for Cumberbatch. Like I felt bad for the guy making everyone's lives miserable, watching Kristen Dunst drown herself in drink because of this one man. Like I just. I felt for everybody in the film. Oh, that made me so angry. Her entire character made me angry. I hated her character. She's just like an object in the film. Like, you know what I mean? All I'm saying is, in this movie about toxic masculinity, supposedly, which I I don't know, maybe I just didn't see that part either. I saw the love. I saw the repression. I saw the fact that he's miserable and he's making everyone miserable around him. But that that's not really what the film is about. To me, the film is that he's repressing who he is and that's making him miserable. And and then the thing that kills me the most is that Kirsten Dunst is like an object. She's not like a real character. She's like a mother to this boy and then a love interest for Jesse Plemons and then a drunk that the boy needs to rescue because she's so bothered by the presence of a... She she doesn't try to make her life better, and she doesn't do anything. She's a, a prop. And uh, for a movie that's supposed to be so feminist, that part I cannot get over. I re- You know what? Like, maybe 23 is too high for this movie as we talk about it. You know, I, I'm taking in all the points you're saying about Kirsten Dunst being an object. Maybe you're right. I, I did. I certainly didn't see it while I was watching the film. What you're saying does sound true. I um, I know. Like, the reality is she does not do anything in this movie except for she's, like, an object for all these men to, like, attach to. Like, you know, like, Benedict Cumberbatch hates her because she stole his brother away. Jesse Plemons loves her because she's his thing to not be alone. But she he is alone because she just ends up being a drunk. And then, like, 
For her son, she is his mother and the person that he must protect. I guess she brings optimism to Jesse Plemons, though. Like, the reason that she goes to live with them is because Jesse thinks that, like, Jesse loves her her so much. And then, of course, at the very end. And the the ending is beautiful for them. It sure is. You know, at the cost of something. But that that also doesn't seem true to the film. Like... She doesn't really love him back at any moment. And so it's so weird to me that suddenly they have this lovely ending because she never loved him but to see, begin he's, with. But they're all different spectrums and all different generations of this masculinity. Like Benedict Cumberbatch is being toxic because he believes he has to be that way to be a man because that's what he believes is the right way. Where Jesse Plemons didn't buy into that bullshit. And was like, I'm going to be this person and be a good person. And then you have Cody Smith McPhee, who grew up with a mother's love and not with a father, really, because her father died. But he's also a psychopath. So I don't know. But and also, I mean, he has nothing to do with masculinity, like in the sense that, like, I feel like. But But of course he does, because he is the man that teaches Benedict Cumberbatch that it's okay not to be the way he's been because he's listening to him, but he's listening to him because he's a sociopath, but he's listening to him. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. letting him be himself. In fact, he's kind of androgynous. He is just, he just is. Yeah, exactly. So he feels- But do you see that Benedict Cumberbatch is trying to force what he believes on him? And he's like, nah, I'm good. Like, like there's something more masculine in nah, I'm good than what Bronco Bill is selling. Cody Smith McPhee is an interesting character. And it's interesting for him to be unencumbered by any gender. But maybe that's what we should be. Like, maybe that is the idea, is that there is no masculine and feminine. It is, you just is, you just are is. Yeah, and that feels like that character personified. He is just who he is. And you know what's really interesting is that like going through this award season and watching the way Jane Campion really like held herself, I could totally see her being like, I reject the masculinity and I like this character more, but you still have to be like assertive because it's a a mean work. I don't know. Jane Campion's a weird director. I'm really glad she won the Oscar, but just a weird director. (laughs) All right, let's move on. Okay. We like I genuinely this is the other part of this film. I feel like you can it inspires conversation for days. I I really genuinely That's actually very true. You can talk about this movie and analyze it. That's that's kind of why I think it's the best film of the year that I saw. It's just not my favorite. Definitely not my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hit me up with your number six. I wonder if you're going to tell me to put a pin in it. It is uh, Mitchells versus the Machines. Yes, please. Let's put a pin in Mitchells versus the Machines. Uh, Will you be telling me to put a pin in the... Oh, God, no. This is like off your list entirely. Let's talk about West Side Story at my number six. Oh, God, hate that movie. Yeah, let's talk about it. Or maybe we don't have to talk about it. Look, I I saw the original West Side Story for the first time this year. It's part of like my best picture challenge, trying to watch all the best pictures. So I knew at some point I had to watch the original West Side Story, which I, I thought was fine. 
Like the music was great, but I don't think that I like Romeo and Juliet. That's that was my takeaway from watching the original West Side Story. Then I watched this West Side Story. My takeaway is I still don't really like Romeo and Juliet so much. Like just the story of Romeo and Juliet. I'm not a big fan, but God, I loved the experience of being back in a movie theater, watching West Side Story. All of the music just like turned up to 10 in a movie theater. The cinematography is bewilderingly just the most beautiful, the beautifulest, beautiful thing. I mean, Dune level. To me, this and Dune, maybe Dune wins, but this is a close second. I, I genuinely could not believe the sets, couldn't believe the choreography, couldn't believe the uh, the ensemble cast that they managed to pull together. Look. Uh, except Did I think for that Ansel Maria and Tony or Elgort, yeah, he's the worst. Look, he's not good he's, in this movie. He, he didn't even really sing. I don't know why he got that role. But like, besides Tony and Maria, like nothing against them or anything. They're supposed to hold the film together, and all of the supporting cast, I think, did better than them. Yes, at holding the film together. And and Ariana Same Debose guy. stole this movie. Oh yeah, deserved every second of the Oscar win that she received. She's fantastic. And I was wondering how Spielberg was going to up the ante on some of the scenes that happened in the original. Now, he claims that he is not doing an adaptation. He's actually taking from the stage show. Blah, 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 blah. Whatever, Mr. Spielberg, you 70-year-old crazy man. Whoa. <laughs> the, the There was a couple of things that I really appreciated that were different. The shop owner was different than the original. And the scene where... She turns around and says, you've turned into rapists. I was so moved and horrified by that moment. And it's probably the most lasting moment in the film for me, to be honest. And of course, it's Ariana DeBose being attacked by these men, by the, uh, I guess, the Jets or whatever. Mm -hmm. Is it the Jets or the Sharks? I can't even remember now. The Sharks are Puerto Rican? and the Jets are the Protestant. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. The Jets are all trying to jump on this woman just because she's there and Puerto Rican and they think lesser of her. And it's it's the saddest moment in the film. I mean, like, look, and so, <laughs> the ending is somewhat sad, but this moment is worse <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But, but yeah, it's just an amazing film. I had a great time with it. I understand some people don't like musicals, namely Ivana. I am not one of those people. Give me a musical on screen and and usually it gets a couple points just for creative music building and stuff like that. This, I think, is better than the original. And that's why it's in my top 10. Yeah, I just hate musicals. I mean, that's the problem. I can't handle the singing. Let's move on then to number five, halfway through the list. Oh my God, we're halfway there. All right. Are you ready for this, Jay? Ooh, I am because I've, I, I'm, I might have it on the list. You might. You might. I could see this. Maybe. I doubt it. Coda. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not on my list. It's, uh, I can tell you right now, it is number, I believe, 25. Let me just scroll. No, it's the 26. Number 26 of my year was Coda. Let's talk about Coda. Oh, by the way, I think Coda's wonderful. I give it four stars. I think it's a wonderful little film. That's exactly the best way to describe it. It's a wonderful, small, shockingly fun to watch, joyful, funny at times, little family drama. It's 
great. The marketing made it sound like it was like, okay, get ready to be depressed. And it is not that. When it was nominated for Best Picture, I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll have to watch this. And then I threw it on and I had the best night. I was surprisingly joyful watching the movie. There are so many moments of comedy, moments of levity, moments of just showing you this family, how much they stick together and how they're going to get through it. And they're going to try to eke out every bit of joy from life, even when life is hard. And honestly, for that alone, I feel like it's worth watching because sometimes there's just a lot of like depressing stuff out there. And it's kind of nice to get the opposite feeling where it's like, yeah, you know, life is hard and the world is unfair, but we can still have fun and we can still have joy. The fact that their house is so noisy, like I never in a million years would think that a deaf house is noisy. I think like, well, they don't want any sound on. So it's not like they're they've got things on. But of course it's noisy. They don't know how much noise they're making. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Like, it was so interesting, that moment where she's trying to study. She's like, you don't understand how noisy it is. Or like, she'll put in her earbuds and everyone thinks she's rude. And it's like, what do you mean they're being rude? You're so loud. <laughs> and I also love the moments where she could be loud, too, where she needed a break and she would just like, throw her music on so loud and rock out in her room. Like, it was really, it was nice. It was nice to see the story of a female who was like the voice of her family from a very young age, learning to become her own individual outside and separate from her family. And, and then her brother, to see him sort of like grapple with feeling compared to competing with her or like yes he he felt lesser because everybody relied on his sister and not right. him exactly and he was like i can do this i can be your bridge even though i'm deaf you know i'm still the younger generation and i still have like the way that he like flirts with that girl behind the bar with the text like with the like notes app and the texting with the text messaging oh, that was so great it was so great like so he has his own innovative ways to get around in the world that his parents aren't thinking about. And I just I thought that was smart. And I just really liked the film. And yeah, it, it, it won Best Picture, right? So it won Best Picture. So go watch it. All right. I don't know if this one's on your list. And I, it'll be fun to talk about because it's fucking King Richard. Oh, yeah, it's not on my list. I, I think it's funny that King Richard is obviously on this list after everything that happened, but I loved King Richard. Look, I grew up in a tennis family, so the more and more tennis that's on screen, the more excited I was. Like, they're throwing out Steffi Graf's name, you know, all these, all these huge stars they're playing, and my family growing up at a tennis court, we didn't have a country club. The closest thing we had was this old grass court in the middle of Toronto in High Park called the High Park Club. And we would go to the High Park Club almost every weekend in the summer. Anyway, so we grew up with tennis and this is a lot of tennis and a lot of fun watching a lot of tennis history. Serena and Venus and the story of King Richard or sorry, King Richard. He is not actually a king. He is just Richard. <laughs> Richard Williams. He's a queen maker. Yeah, that's right. He's he's the queen maker and he is the only man in this family. Everybody else is is women. And, you know, he sets lofty goals for all of the women in his house. 
be really hard if you wanted to disagree with those goals, I think. I'm sure the, I, I'm sure that the movie is kinder than what at times was probably hard to be <laughs> yeah. under Richard Williams. But it's a fascinating story about how Serena and Venus got into tennis and how their father pushed for them and how much more difficult it is for uh, a black person who has all this skill to be in this white facing industry and yeah. what that means. And I, I loved every second of it. Like I genuinely enjoyed the hell out of it all the way to the end, man. I don't know. And then he slapped Chris Rock in the face and I was like, shit, everybody's going to remember King Richard because of this and not because it's actually a pretty good movie. It is a really good movie, but it felt to me like a lot of other really good sports movies, except that we got to see this family's story. I also kind of grew up with a tennis family. My dad loves tennis and in particular female tennis. And I think he always wished that I would become a tennis player. But I did not like tennis and quit. You don't like sports. I don't like sports. Like I was texting my parents while I was watching it going, have you seen this yet? Like you're, you guys are going to love it. And they loved Perfect. it. Perfect. They did. They thought it was, of course. They of thought course it was really good. It. And I genuinely think I'm going to go back to it. So that's why it's number five on my list. And, and look, Will Smith, man, he deserved that Oscar. He did. I'm sorry he murdered it. That's his fault. But like it was good. It was a good performance. Who is he up against? Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh, he did really good. He did a good performance, too. Andrew Garfield in Tick, Tick, Boom. I did not watch that. That's okay. What did you watch at number four? My number four is definitely not on your list. I can tell you for a fact. I don't think it's your kind of movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but I think you have. A French film, Tatain. Let's talk about Tatane. Did you watch it? Oh, yeah. I've seen it. It's it's really something. I it's, mean, okay. It is so... something. It is it <laughs> is the most original, crazy thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah. 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 I, I think that this movie, like, spoke to my soul. I really enjoyed watching it. Julia... Docorno, I believe. I'm definitely butchering her name pronunciation. I apologize. She uh, also did Raw. This is much better than Raw. So much better than Raw. There's so many themes and questions and the exploration of the body and pregnancy and body horror as like a as part of it. I thought that was brilliant. Also the exploration of gender you know, what is male, what is female. This this movie is wild. I couldn't really even properly explain it. If I gave you the premise, it would just be so insane. I feel like it's better to go in blind and just kind of know, I don't know car stuff, but high octane would be the description wow. I would use. That is That was some good wordsmithing. What would happen if a serial killer had sex with a car, and then got impregnated by that car and started turning into a car. Well, not turning into a car, but, like, she has to, like, facilitate the growth of a car so her body starts changing. Yes. Sorry. Yes. She herself 
needs to sustain a car-like baby. Yeah. 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 It's okay, but this is exactly why I didn't want to give the premise away because it's a bit like, look, there's a scene where she has sex with a car and it's great and it works. It's a great scene. Yeah, it works. I, I agree. This movie's really exploring themes of what does it mean to be pregnant? What does it mean to be female? What does it mean to be male? Are we really female or male or are we something else? And what is our fascination with feminine and masculine? And I don't know. This movie's like a revelation. It's really fucking cool. Like it's weird, but you're not going to be disappointed. The story continuously builds pace. The ending is as fucked up as the, the, the concept. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The ending just like, wow. It's a good payoff. It lives up to everything it promises. Yeah. It is exactly what it needs to be. As all good body horror and, and horror films do, you know, they ask big questions. And look, there's a reason it's on Ivana's list and not my list. We have different taste in the movies that we see. But I'm not going to deny that it is unlike any film I've probably ever seen in my life. Was I beyond shocked at the amount of killing and what was happening on screen? I sure was, and I didn't understand why it was happening. And I was like, what the shit is this? I don't know. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. It's a one-of-a-kind film. Where Where is it on your list again? Oh, my God. I don't know. Like, probably in the 40s. <laughs> like, <laughs> All right. So very middle lower for it's, you. It's middle. I gave it a three and a half stars. What is your number four? Actually, my number four is also quite intense. It's a small film called Mass. Oh, nice. Okay, I, you know what? Mass is in and around 20 for me, I think. So Mass is the directorial debut of Fran Kranz, who you might know as the stoner from Cabin in the Woods. And Fran Kranz wrote this screenplay about four people getting together in a church's spare room to talk about something extremely uncomfortable and it that's kind of it that's the movie is they're going to talk about this thing and that's the movie i don't want to tell you what it is in terms of craft it's impressive yes i'm i'm blown away by the fact that he was able to write this for his first feature the range of emotions that happen where you're like immensely upset. You're almost offended for these people. But then you you get to this ending that you're like, how the fuck did we get here? How, how were you able to do this? Like my heart is built. Wow. I, I don't know. This was one of those movies that I put on because somebody said, you got to watch it. I thought I was going to hate it. I could not believe how much I took away from it and how how impressive all the actors were. Jason Isaacs, Martha Plimpton, Ann Dowd, and Reed Burney. You've seen them all in many things, even if you don't recognize their names. I watched it because you recommended it and because I was like, oh, Fran Krantz wrote and directed something. <laughs> yeah. It feels like a play. I'm actually shocked that he wrote it as a film. For four people sitting at a table together talking, it is shocking how entertaining the movie is. Nothing happens, but everything happens. It's two sets of parents 
there was a tragedy. And yes. I think that's all you need to know. It's all you need to know. From a directorial standpoint, he made a lot of very purposeful, restrained, smart choices about, you know, who's in this shot, who's in that shot. How does the story progress? Because for people sitting around a table in a room, you would not, you would think that would get very boring very fast on a film, um, but it does not. No, and it does he not. He knows how to ratchet up the suspense. This is suspenseful. Like I don't like it's a hundred percent suspenseful as you're watching it unfold. So there's a lot of craftsmanship. The, there's some things here that when you watch this film, you have to like think to yourself. This is his first try at this. How does he understand the emotions he's yanking out? Like, where did he get that from? You know what that's I mean? That's acting. That's that's his acting. What I was amazed by is how does he understand how to maneuver the camera so you don't get bored? That. Like, how did he do that? How? How did he do that? How did he write that ending? Like, how did he write the ending to that movie thinking... This is better. Like, it could have gone a lot of ways, but he's like, this is better. And it is. It is better. Oh, God. I love Mass so much. It's my number four. Holy crap. What a great film. All right. Top three. We are in our top three stretch here. Ivana, where are we at with your number three? Don't look up. Most people hated this movie. It's my number three. Oh, I do not hate this movie. I, I will never say that I hate this movie. I thought it was a lot of fun. It is number 40 on my list. I'm a big fan of Adam McKay. He has not really disappointed me yet. This film puts a real mirror to our society and our world. And that mirror is uncomfortable and farcical and like a fun house horror comedy i think that's why a lot of people don't like it but it really felt like the pandemic it wasn't about a pandemic it's about asteroids hitting the earth but it's about the pandemic it's about the pandemic and it's about how we've reacted to the pandemic and it's about donald trump and it's just like about this moment in history and i feel like it felt extremely cathartic for me when i watched it i felt absolutely vindicated in like a lot of feelings i feel about the world and i loved it i thought it was a great movie and i thought the performances were great and and jonah hill my favorite part jonah hill being like don jr <laughs> is like so good and i I mean, I'll never get the image of don't look up out of my... F They're all chanting it and one guy in the crowd looks... <laughs> <laughs> like, I will always find that funny. And it's like, hey, look, they're... What is... Oh, my God. I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> it's absolutely absurdist, but it absolutely is true. I think that's the most uncomfortable thing watching this movie is you're like, shit, this is real. This essentially happened like like, yeah, Meryl Streep is not Donald Trump, but she's kind of like Donald Trump meets like Sarah Palin. You know, <laughs> like that's right. She's more celebrity than president. Right. And that's what they're saying, I think. Exactly. And and Timothy Chalamet, I loved his character, this breath of fresh air that you could just make fun of for a minute and then move on and get yes. back to the story. I also loved Leonardo DiCaprio in, in having the affair. Yes. Like mostly because he could. And then his wife is like, well, screw you. Here's who you really are. And I was like, yeah, that 
all of this feels very real. He goes back to her at that at the end there and she just accepts it. It's like, yeah, what are you going to say to this man? He's like a nothing man. And now he's got like Kate Blanchett. He's not going to say no to that. Exactly. You just got to forgive him. But also the world's going to end. What does it really matter? I thought it was a perfect pandemic 2021 picture. Like I said, it was a good year for me. I, I had a lot of big fun times at the movies. But here is number three. This is going to be a summer staple for me for the rest of my life. I'm going to play it outdoors. I'm going to blast it out loud. I loved this movie. This movie should have been huge. Should have been the biggest movie of the summer. The best movie of the summer. Any other year without a pandemic, I think it would have been number one. That is, it's not on your list. Don't worry. It's In the Heights. Oh, yeah. In the Heights came out this year. I started to watch the movie, but I turned it off because I hate musicals and it's such a musical. But here's the thing. If you told me this was an original concept for a film, like not a stage show. I really would have believed you. Like, Is it a stage show? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was a, it's a Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, stage show. I never would imagine this as a theater show because it felt like a film. It really feels like a film. They really use all of the CGI and special effects and everything in the right way, I think. And the mobility of the camera. Absolutely. The sets are amazing. I've already watched it three times this year. The first time I watched it, there was a smile on my face ear to ear the entire time I watched it. It's a, it's beautiful. I wish I had been able to go to the theater to see it because Canadian theaters were closed at that time. So I couldn't. Oh, I love the music. I love that this is a film with like all of three white people who maybe have a runtime of like two minutes tops in this film. You know, this is a Latin film and a, a Latin representation. And I, I was there for all of it. It was such a cool idea. And the ending, I love the ending. It's a really uplifting, fun show that I can't wait for the summer to watch in the park near my house. Because I have the big projector screen that I bring out and I like set it up. I will bet dollar to donuts people will come gather around, maybe dance because the music is so perfect. I don't know. It would be lovely to see this in the park. Even if it was organized, I'd go and see it in the park. I love this film. Number three, it's going to be a staple for me. Oh, I didn't even, I didn't even explain what it is. Oh yeah, that's true. It's a film about Washington Heights in New York which is a, a Latin community in New York. And it's about the daily lives of these people who live there, a couple of people in particular. And they're going through a heat wave during the summer for like one week. And that is kind of where all this topsy-turviness happens. And it's, it's great. All right. Moving on to number two. It's the big times. Uh, my number two... I think you've seen it. It's obviously not going to be on your top 10, but I'm shocked kind of that it's not on your top 10. What? What is this? I would have expected this movie down around 10. Nobody. It's number 11. Oh, see? There we go. That's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it, it was number 11. So look, I loved, loved, loved Nobody. It's such a fun, fun action film. It's definitely like a response to John Wick. 
You know, like it's its own thing, but it doesn't really exist without John Wick first being a thing. And it's about this man, Bob Odenkirk, who just has a regular old life and he's like a regular old guy and his house is broken into by these robbers and he doesn't do anything that night. He doesn't stand up for himself. He doesn't fight back. He does the responsible thing and he listens to the robbers and he gets them out of his house as quickly as possible. But this event awakens something inside of Bob Odenkirk. Something long forgotten. Bob is not the mild-mannered suburban dad that we have been brought to believe. (laughs) That's right. In reality, he has a past, and that past is coming out to get revenge. And and I'm just going to leave it at that, because I think that's all you need to know. It's all you need to know. Just watch this movie. If you like action films, you will like this movie. It's one of the best action films of the year. I put it right next to my other favorite action film of the year, which is No Time to Die, which I did not expect that to be a favorite, but holy shit, what a great ending. I haven't actually seen it yet. Remember when we went to see Skyfall together and we walked out, we're like, do we like this guy as James Bond? Like, do we even like James Bond? Yeah. Yeah. And then Spectre came out and I was like, I hate this movie. No Time to Die is fantastic. I did not expect to like it. I haven't enjoyed Daniel Craig movies. But yeah, No Time to Die is 13. Belfast is 12. So nobody, then Belfast, then No Time to Die. I'm so happy that nobody beats, you know, James Bond. Nobody is a great film. And I'm and I'm glad that I get to represent with the number two position. What is your? Well, I'm not going to screw around with my number two then. There is some action scenes, but this is not an action film. My number two is Ridley Scott's The Last Duel. Oh, I didn't see this movie. All right. Well, Jay, what's it about? The Last Duel is a Me Too film. It is about two people in medieval 1300s style France. One of them, their wife, accuses another man of raping her. And so to defend their honor, he challenges him to a duel. But the way that they are, this this is historically the last duel that ever happened in France, like duel to the death, where two people were in a- This is like a real event in history. Oh, yeah. This is a real event in history. Of course, like backward ass people were like, well- you know, rapes cannot cause pregnancies because, you know, you can only get you can only get pregnant when you have pleasure. And like, oh, my God, it's insane. But that's the part. That's the point of the movie is just how little agency women have throughout the entire film and how these men are now fighting because of something that they both believe is not true. And they're fighting to the death for the honor for God to declare a winner and the winner is the right one in the argument because God wouldn't w- w- wouldn't let the truth loose basically this is my problem with like religion is that logic that happens like <laughs> it, it's genuinely shocking i i think but more creatively is the way they tell the story so it's stars Adam Driver Matt Damon and Jody Comer And these are the three people who all get their own time to tell the story. So Matt Damon gets like the first third of the movie telling his side of the story. 
And then they show Adam Driver's side of the story. And then they show Jodie Comer's side of the story. And by that point, you'd think like, well, we've seen this already twice. No, no, you haven't seen anything till you see Jodie Comer's side of the story. Like you've already seen the event that's horrible, but then you see it through Jodie Comer's side and it is, oh my God, like what she goes through, not just with the event, because it's not like the most graphic thing, but what she goes through after the event is so much more disheartening, so much sadder. Like, oh my God. Wow. I'm very interested in watching this movie. And I don't even like Ridley Scott. Like, I am not a big fan of his old ye period pieces in general. But this film knocked me on my ass. And it's all about, you know, we're still trying to get there to believe the victim. Like, that's really what the, the message of the film is. But it's told in a drastically different way that I hadn't seen. This is done really well. The, the actual duel is sort of at the end of the film and it's graphic and like it's war-ish between two men. But damn, it's, oh man, it's like, yeah, the last duel. I uh, I really, really, really liked it. Here's the thing about Ridley Scott as a director. He does a wide gamut of types of different movies. So I think like, He's the kind of director where everyone might have like one or two films that he's done that they really like and probably like a good handful that they also really don't like. And so he he's an interesting director in that kind of way. Absolutely. But we can never forget he is still the guy who gave us Alien and that is awesome. That is awesome. So can I announce your number one seeing as like we only had two crossovers. This is the first. This is a first. Yeah. And both of our crossovers are our, like coming up now. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you're number one. Tell me why you love Pig. Honestly, I think Pig might be one of the more perfect movies I've ever seen. In a year of somewhat disappointing movies to me, Pig was a revelation. I have seen Pig a total of three times. Oh, my God. I've seen it twice. I get so much from these viewings. Honestly, I don't even know how much we should talk about it because part of the beauty of Pig, the marketing is very smart for this movie. The marketing leads you to sort of think... It's an action movie. Right. Having Nicolas Cage be the lead with the marketing, with the action film, with the John Wick like illusions, it's all very intentional Man, Pig should have been nominated for an Oscar, but they definitely didn't have the money to campaign for that. First of all, it's gorgeous. Beautiful. Beautiful coloring, beautiful shots, beautiful composition, everything. The, like, the lighting is great. And I don't think I really want to say more than that, other than the fact that Nicolas Cage's performance blew me away. He was really restrained in this film. All the intensity in his eyes, but everywhere else he was restrained. Also, what does it truly mean to be successful? Like, there is a lot. There is a lot to unpack from this film. Like, one part of it I did not expect. I, I'm, you're right. I'm not going to share any of it. Like, it's a really interesting film that I, I can't wait to watch again. 
to be honest. It's such a great, great film. I'm very excited with what the director, Michael Sarnoski, is is doing with this film. It's his first, like, feature film. And I'm on his IMDb right now. And I just want to let you know that he's been tapped to take over A Quiet Place Part 3. Ho, ho, ho. That's impressive. After one so, feature film, that's good. But it's a hell of a feature film. There's a scene in a restaurant in this movie that if you are moved to tears, come on. All right. Why don't you announce my number one? Your film, I also am really happy about, and it's a fantastic movie. It is Mitchell's versus The Machines. I want to just put it there. I think this is the funniest movie in five years. Wow. I mean, you could be right. It is. There aren't a lot of comedies. So funny. This movie is bananas funny. And it's a family story that feels as relevant today as it would in like 40 years. I am certain of this. It, it feels like belonging to a family or being the outsider of a family. Everybody can relate to that. It normalizes LGBTQ people in a way that like, this is a family animated film and your main person in the film is gay and they don't make a big deal about it at all. And it is I love not that. a problem. Like it's awesome. It is awesome. And I, I love the idea that, you know, this quirky, bizarre family is going to stop the robot apocalypse. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did we, did we tell you this is a robot apocalyptic family feature that is hilarious. There's a dog that could be a loaf of bread. This is, honest to God, my favorite movie. I've seen it. Guess how many times I've seen it this year? Six. You would be correct. I have seen this six times this year. Wow. I think that this movie will be like a top 100 going forward for me. The animation is great. Shout out to the dog. I also have a <laughs> flat, flat-faced dog, a Boston Terrier. And I get it. That derpy look exists with Emma, too. <laughs> you've got the overprotective mom. You've got the outdoorsy dad. You've got the film-obsessed main star. And then you got the dinosaur freak younger brother who can't talk to girls. This is a family you want to root for. I don't know what else to say. This it's true. Is, oh, my God. Like, it really should have won Best Animated. That's probably the one that I'm most upset about. It, it did win the Annie which is the animated awards. It did win best animated film at the Annie's, which I feel like is more clout than the Oscar when it comes to animation. One of the more fun parts of this movie or that I really liked is like the perfect family, you know, like the Instagram family. Oh, yes. And the mom is forever trying to like be like, why aren't we more like that family? And then you find out like. And and I I'm a sucker for, you know, father daughter stories. They oh, always yeah. get me. And this is definitely one of those. Oh my gosh. I'd ball my face off at the end of this movie in like the best way possible. And then, you know, the apocalypse happens. And then the apocalypse happens. <laughs> Come on. What about like the Facebook guy? He's the best too. He's like, I didn't expect yes. this ever to happen. <laughs> oh God, I love that movie. Anyways, okay. So we have Pig and Mitchell's versus the machines. That's our only crossover. What a crazy top 10 turf war. That barely ever happens. I think we had even more crossover, at least in the top TV this year. 
And luckily, our crossovers is going to be the top two positions. It's just which is which, Pig or Mitchell's versus yeah. the Machines. So I'm thinking, uh, I'm thinking Pig because I want more people to watch it. So I feel like Pig is like a five out of five. I mean, Mitchell's well, versus Mitchell's... the Machines is like a good four point five out of five for sure. Yeah, I, I'm okay with you saying that my number one isn't as high a scorer as your number one, but don't don't <laughs> keep it up for long. All right, let's do that. Pig at number one in the Mitchells versus Machines. Then, holy crap, like, should we put Coda in because it won Best Picture? I like Nobody and Last Duel for the next two. Like, I think those are both of our number twos, and I think slots three and four deserve those. All right, I'm going to take the last duel and then nobody. So now we're at Don't Look Up, In the Heights, Titan, and Mass. And Um, this is, I think, now that we've kind of covered our top twos. Yes. Now we can get creative and pull from anywhere. Yeah. I mean, we talked more about The Power of the Dog than almost all of these movies. Yeah, but I hate The Power of the Dog. But we both agreed The Power of the Dog is like the most talkable you could talk about it for hours what if we give it number seven yeah i mean that's where it is on my list so i'm okay with what if we put coda in number six okay i'm okay with that i want mass okay yeah i'm in with mass at number five because that is a film that blew my socks off your socks too okay so titane on the global list is it for everybody no but I think it's good to be on here. It's the only international, the only foreign film we have on the list. So maybe we put it at 10 because. I was just going to suggest yeah. 10. I completely agree. To, I would like Tatane to be on the list because even though it's not for every audience member, for the people that it's for, it's pretty brilliant. And I so agree. it should be here, but like number 10. I'm going to request I'm that we just fight keep West Side Story off of the list. Yeah, but I want In the Heights on the list. This was the year of the musical, and I one of these musicals is getting on this list. I'm okay with that. What if we put it in the number nine position? All right, fine. All right, we have one spot left. It's the number eight. Everybody's talking about Will Smith. Do we go King Richard? No, King Richard... King Richard is just, like, not special enough. Like, it's a great movie, but, like... Coda is also not special enough. I mean, it is very, very representation-focused, but so is King Richard. But Coda's fun in a way that King Richard is not. Maybe I just have fun because I'm a tennis person. What do we have on this list? We have some serious stuff on this list, and we have two... Mm -hmm. In our top four, we have two very serious movies and then two very silly movies. Then we have Mass and Coda. Power of the Dog, it's it's a great playoff. It's it's slow. Jay didn't you didn't slog at all. I didn't slog at like, all, but it's slow. It's a slow right. burn. Yeah. And then Titan is just like off the walls, like you're either gonna love or you're gonna think like we're crazy. In the Heights is oh, just all the feels. So maybe we go with something that is a little less uh, what if we put last night in Soho on? Because it's just like so it's one of the more different movies on our list. It's Edgar Wright. So we're, you know, you know, we're still giving him that. And also lots of craftsmanship goes into making yes. it. Yes. And yeah, it I, keeps I like that. West Side Story off the list for you. <laughs> OK. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in for this. All right. So here is your list. We're going to count it down. 
these are the top 10 movies you should watch from 2021. Number 10, Titan. Number 9, In the Heights. Number 8, Last Night in Soho. Number 7, Power of the Dog. Number 6, Coda. Number 5, Max. Number 4, Nobody. Number 3, The Last Duel. Number 2, The Mitchells versus The Machines. And the number 1 movie of 2021, Pig. What is at the very bottom of your list, Ivana? Oh, man. I guarantee you probably have never heard of it. Last of the Grads. Nope. Never heard of it. What'd you give it? Like, I don't think I even finished it. It was just so Oh, you didn't even finish it. Okay, so my last is higher on your list. My last is The Matrix Resurrections. Oh, yeah. That's like a good, like, lower middle for me. And then Home Sweet Home Alone. I liked Home Sweet Home Alone more than I liked The Matrix Resurrections. That's shocking to me. That It's like, okay, The Matrix Resurrections, not the best movie, but is it the worst? Let me tell you, Last of the Grads is way worse. And thank you for listening to this very long episode of our top 10 turf war the top movies of 2021 hope you enjoyed the music you heard today comes from bensound.com and if you read our show notes you'll learn more information about our friends who voiced our intros and where we secured our sound effects you can find more episodes and information on our website or you can like us on facebook slash more the movies podcast Oh, and if you want to interact directly you can find us both on twitter i mentioned it earlier i'm at jester j I'm at It's Ivana. We'll be back soon with a new episode, so make sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Until next time, friends. Do more. And watch more. More.